Amen. What a blessing it is to be in God's house. Uh, it is TBM day, and, and um, just so you know, there's a table out in the great hall. If you haven't uh, checked it out, you need to check it out on your way out uh, later. Um, you know, Jim and Monica McDougal, uh, they're sitting up here in the back over here. They're very active in Texas Baptist men, and Texas Baptist men is not just for men. Um, it, it, there's a lot of ladies involved with that. But what a blessing it is to be involved with a church that plugs in, that is like those, uh, um, not quite the first responders, but definitely the second responders that come out uh, to help people in time of need, whether it's a flood, a, a hurricane, or, or fires, or whatever it might be. But, um, you know, they, they, uh, they do disaster relief, but they're involved in a lot of other things as well. Uh, water wells, um, just different kinds of things all over the world. So uh, we're highlighting them today so that you can know there's a place there that you can plug in. Um, Jim and Monica, uh, they do, there's training sessions where you can become a part of that and, and uh, be on call out if you have the, the time and availability to go and do. Uh, I know they would, they're always looking for volunteers that could go and help. So uh, that's one, one definite ministry you could be involved with uh, if you wanted to be involved with that. But uh, I want to pray for them today. I know they still have a team in Kentucky, and I want to lift them up today as they uh, serve folks there. But let's pray together. Loving Father, we thank you for this time, and we thank you for TBM and the good they do all over the world. And Father, I pray that you would just raise up a um, just a... a a flood of volunteers, Father, to, to help in these times where people are flooded out of their homes and, and Father, they need uh, food and, and laundry and just different uh, services. And Father, I pray that you would help us to um, enable those and, and, and folk resource those who go. And I pray, Father, that you would help each one of us to do our part in that. Uh, Father, thank you so much for loving us. Thank you for your great blessing to us each and every day. I pray, Father, that this, this morning as we, as we um, look into your word, that you would just speak to our hearts, encourage our hearts. Father, I know that each one of us are going through different things. Uh, every one of us has a, a, a circumstance, a trial, something that we're going through right now. So I pray, Father, that you would just be in and through that and that you would use that for your kingdom glory. Father, we thank you for all that you do for us every single day. And uh, we just praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning we're going to be in Romans chapter 8, uh, the end of chapter 8, the very last few verses. And uh, we're going to be wrapping up our, our uh, study there. And if you have your scripture and want to open up to Romans 8, that would be great. Um, a fellow by the name of Steve Winger uh, from Lubbock, Texas, he, uh, he writes about his last college test uh, a final exam in logic class known for its difficult exams. And uh, to help, uh, the professor told all the students they could, uh, whatever, they could bring whatever they could put on a eight and a half by 11 piece of paper. And so, you know, most of the students, they crammed as much information on a piece of paper as they could. And, uh, but one fellow walked into class and he laid a piece of paper on the floor and then he invited a uh, advanced logic student in and had him stand on the paper and uh, he gave him all the answers that he needed. And uh, consequently, he was the only student to receive an A uh, in that class. 
But you know, the ultimate, I laughed when I read that because I thought, man, how, how brilliant is that? You know, anything you can put on this piece of paper, you can, you can use in class. Um, you know, the ultimate final exam for us, though, will come when we stand before God. And he says, why should I let you in? And, uh, you know, on our own, we cannot pass that exam. Our creative attempts to earn eternal life, they fall well short. But we have someone who will stand in for us. And his name is Jesus. I mean, what a a wonderful thing. Today we are thankful for life. We're thankful for health. We're thankful for provision. We're thankful for our families. We should thank God for the privilege of living in America, Uh, for those who have given their lives for our freedom, for those who serve our country in various ways. You know, we can thank God for uh, the uniqueness of our own church family. I mean, what a blessing it is that, to have a, a family to walk this journey with uh, in life and, and the gift that comes uh, through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, just a quick word about relationships before we get into our, our text. You know, absolutely nothing, absolutely nothing can drive a wedge between God and his people. And I love that because no matter how hard, no matter how painful, I believe it's kind of strange because we often see things that are in like our our text this morning in this passage uh, as reasons why we think that maybe God is um, displeased or not happy with us in some way. And and, um, you need to understand that that the, the passage here is not talking about love separators, Okay, it's not, it's not something that separates us from God. But we have seen every type of relationship known to humanity separate or break up. I mean, we have marital separations. We have ugly divorces. We see companies split. We even see church splits. We live in a society of dads separating from their families in order to go start new ones. Moms separating from their families because they found someone else. Business partners separating over different philosophies of business and friends separating because of other friends. Seems like most relationships that we see are kind of what I want to call, okay, here's my cooking background, Italian dressing recipes or relationships. Because what happens is, you know, they stay together as long as the things are shook up a little bit. But as soon as things slow down, okay, they separate. Italian dressing relationships. Now, but our relationship with Christ is more like this. It's more like <laughs> butter on a warm toasted English muffin. I mean, it just soaks in and you can't separate those two. I mean, praise God, that's a, that's a wonderful thing. No matter how hard you try, you can't separate those. And that's the way our relationship is with God. See, our text, which is like, I want to call it maybe the, the summit, the mountain peak, if you will, of, of Romans 1 through 8, and possibly of the entire Bible, okay? Uh, it, it praises the eternal, the unchangeable, the unfathomable life transforming love of God that is found in his son, Jesus Christ. 
Think about that. The eternal, unchangeable, unfathomable, life-transforming love of God that is found in his son, Jesus Christ. Folks, it doesn't get any better than this. This is, this is the peak of what God's word is all about. Now, throughout this chapter, Paul has been trying to persuade his listeners of their security in Christ. You know, that, that um, they are secure in Jesus. And, and he assured us that in Christ, we face no condemnation. That for those who are in Christ Jesus, those who have put their faith and trust in him, there is no condemnation. Amen. Thank you. We have God's spirit also living in us. This is something he's, he's telling his, his listeners here. He's assuring us of our relationship and, and, and praying for us. The Holy Spirit is praying for us in, in groans too deep for words. And we have the promise that in all things, why did he use the word all? But in all things, God is working for the good in the lives of his children. That we can trust God in that. And we've been told that God is responsible for our salvation from from start to finish. It's all him. And Paul ends this teaching on assurance with a, a series of these five unanswerable questions. And we've looked at the first four already. And he asks us, if God is for us, who can be against us? I mean, if, if Almighty God is for us, who could be against us? And then you think about, well, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, give us, freely give us all things? The third question was, who will bring a charge against God's elect? Who condemns us? That's the, the fourth one. Who is he who condemns? You know, Christ is for us and he's pleading our case. And, and the final question is perhaps the most powerful one of all. It is this. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? But here's the problem. Here's the problem. The problem is our own fear. Our own fear. The question is very appropriate. I mean, we celebrate God's love. We rejoice in his forgiveness. We, we praise him for his, his grace in reaching out to us. However, in each of these things, there seems to be that nagging fear that if something goes wrong, somehow if, if I slip and fall, if I fail in some way, that we're going to lose God's blessing and, and fall from his love. And so because of that fear, we don't live with confidence, but we live with concern and anxiety. There's some good reasons why we feel this way. And the first one is we, we become afraid because of what we read in the Bible. And you think about this. I mean, God seems sometimes to to bless Israel at one moment, and then he turns around and seems to hit Israel with his wrath the next moment. And, and when we read God's word, we observe God striking people dead. We, we, in, we see him sending plagues upon people. We, 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 and, and, and then there's warnings about impending judgment. And, and it seems to us like maybe God's love is somehow fragile. That if we don't do everything just so-so, that he's not going to love us. You know, some people say, well, 
I want to follow the God of the New Testament rather than the God of the Old Testament. But you need to understand this. They are the same God. They are the exact same God because the God of the Old Testament is presented as a God of compassion and love, just like in the New Testament. And in the New Testament, Jesus refers to God's judgment and impending wrath, just like in the Old Testament. They're the same day in, day out, yesterday, today, and forever. See, we must remember that God cannot forgive those who do not repent. He cannot save those who will not respond to his grace. And so we remember that the Lord's discipline and his love are not inconsistent with each other. They go together. His discipline and his love. See, don't miss God's patience either. We've been studying in Nahum on Wednesday night. We just began that study. And if if you're not doing anything on Wednesday evening at 6, please come and join us. Um, But uh, we, we talked a little bit last week about the fact that God is slow to anger. And, and, you know, we're talking about his patience and endurance in the life of his children. I mean, think about some of the people that we read about in God's word. Think about Abraham. Think about Moses. Think about David. Maybe doubting Thomas and Peter, who denied the Lord three times. I mean, these people made all kinds of mistakes. But God's love was sure. They knew that God loved them. They knew that God has, was for them. I love this. You know, the Lord continued to draw Israel to himself, even though they denied him time after time after time, following idols. He wanted to choose them, to, to call them out to be his chosen people. And the minute they get free from their bondage, they forget who he is and they begin worshiping idols. I mean, the Lord continues to draw them, though, and, and at times he had to make, take drastic action to wake these folks up. But these drastic acts are expressions of his love, not a denial of his love. And second reason that we wonder if anything can separate us from God's love is is our experience with other people. I mean, think about the abused child or the abused spouse. At one time, they're told how much they are valued and cherished. And at the other time, another time, the same person is in a rage and abusing them. Think about the spouse who rests in the promise of their mate only to find out that his or her partner has been unfaithful. Or the employee who is assured to be a cherished part of the organization, but then they lose their job over a cost-cutting measure. I mean, remember back to your teenage years. I mean, some of you, that's a long way. I don't even want to go there, but Think about, you know, one moment people are your friends and the next moment they don't act like they even know that you exist. You know, many of us adults would probably say, well, that's not just a problem with teens. 
But the problem is this, is we've grown cynical because people have made promises to us, but never carried through on their promise. And we have to come to be, we've gotten a little suspicious of the enduring nature of those who profess to love us because we've been burned before. This isn't our first rodeo. We know what other people are like. So our fear is because of what we read in the Bible and also our experience with others. And third, there's an awareness of our own hidden sin. I mean, every one of us knows that we're not as holy as we present ourselves to be. It's amazing how holy people can become in the presence of a pastor. I mean, all of a sudden, wow. But we present ourselves as one thing, but then we're not that thing. But we want everybody to think that about us. We have our hidden temptations. We battle serious vices. And we harbor bitterness and an unforgiving heart. We know we are not doing all that we could be doing. At times, we're just plain lazy. And on occasion, we deliberately twist the truth. See, there are many times that we know what God wants us to do, but we just flat out do not do it. We have trouble loving ourselves. And it's difficult to believe that God could really know us and still love us. Now, that's our fears. And I want to I want to listen to God's promise. I do have a text this morning and um, I'm going to read that text. But understanding Paul is understanding that our insecurity, what that's about, and that's why he writes this. And I want to read in, in Romans 8, verse 35 and following through the end of the chapter. And this is what God's word says. It says, who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril, or sword, just as it is written, for your sake, we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Verse 37 says, but in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Man, I love this. I mean, the apostle gives us a list of things here that cannot separate us from God's love. I mean, he talks about 
tribulation or, or trouble. He talks about distress and hardship. And those two words probably have to do with, you know, the, the, the outward um, affliction. I want to call them the trials of life that we go through for, for our existence here on earth. And the, the inward distress and hardship would be more of that emotional turmoil that life often brings. I mean, you think about this. If, if things aren't right in a relationship that you have, either with a spouse, with a child, with a coworker, I mean, you're not going to sleep. And that tiredness brings about it an emotional toil, uh, toll, excuse me. And, and so we have this, this outward affliction, the trials of life, but we also have this inward distress that goes on. And both of those are very true in each of our lives almost every single day. There's things that come up. There's things that happen. And Paul says that the roller coaster of experience and emotion will not separate us from God's love. No matter what we're going through, no matter the peaks and valleys, the highs, the lows, they're not going to separate us from the love of God. And the fact that some days are hard will not separate us from his love. And the fact that some of those days we don't feel quite as close to him, that does not mean that God has changed it all. He still loves us. He also mentions persecution. I mean, the Bible uses that word persecution for an attack that happens against us because of our faith, because of, of our commitment to Jesus Christ. And I, I love that because Paul was a veteran of these attacks. I mean, he, was a, he would face them constantly. And throughout the history of the church, people have given their lives for the gospel. You know, pastors have lost their lives standing for the truth. Spouses have lost their partners because they would not compromise with the truth of the gospel. People have lost their jobs because of the Christian conviction. At these times, it's always tempting to believe somehow that God has let us down. He didn't see me through. But Paul reminds us that even in these times, even in these times, God has not stopped loving us. He continues to love us. He mentions famine, famine or nakedness or peril or sword. And, and you know, we, the peril, we talk about danger and, you know, we may be hungry we may not have the clothes that we, we need to wear. We may face danger, maybe even death. And we may not fit in with the social standing of those around us. We may not have all the things that everybody else does. We may not be able to dress in a fashionable way. But in spite of our circumstances, God's love for us remains unchanged. Folks, we need to bank on that. The fact that God's love does not change. And Paul speaks from experience. I mean, listen to these words in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 11, verse 23 and following. And, you know, he's talking, he's encouraging people, but he's talking about some of the things that he's been through. And one of the things that he talks about, I, I like to call him danger man. Okay. I mean, you need a superhero. Uh, Paul is danger man. Okay. Um, he says there are, are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane, I more so. In far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, 
often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers in the sea, dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Apart from such external things, there is the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. He's speaking from experience. He's writing this and he knows he's faced all kinds of obstacles. I would say much more so than anything we face. There are times when he certainly felt very much alone and maybe even confused. But in all these times and circumstances, Paul discovered that God's love never wavered. He's still right there. To drive home his point, Paul quotes Psalm 44, 22. For your sake, you, we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Seems like kind of an odd verse, doesn't it? I mean, Paul's making a simple point. <laughs> Life is filled with trials. The Christian life is not an easy life. He's saying, if you're looking for something easy, this isn't it. Folks, we must never mistakenly assume that, <laughs> that difficulties mean that God has turned away from us. We all have difficulties. We're all carrying a burden that no one else knows. But it doesn't mean that God loves us less. See, Paul follows this up by declaring not only do these things not separate us from the love of God, in these times and situations, we are more than conquerors. Wow. He goes above and beyond. He's like, he's like we're just not, not just making it. We are more than conquerors in this. And I think that's huge because this phrase really isn't strong enough. I like the way the, the New American Standard puts it, uh, this translation. We overwhelmingly conquer. <laughs> that means it's a piece of cake. That means, yeah, this is cinchy. We, can, we got this. We can do this. We can overwhelmingly conquer even when the circumstance is at its worst. I mean, we're super conquerors. We're overwhelmingly conquer. And, and the thought is, is similar to Romans 8, 28, that in all things, even the things that hurt, God is working for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. We've all experienced tremendous pain in many different ways. And we still overwhelmingly 
conquer. See, in the tough times of life, God is working on us and in us and through us out of his love. I mean, he may be refining us. (laughs) That refiner's fire is pretty hot. He may be refining us. He may be teaching us. He may be giving us an opportunity to witness. He may even be deepening our faith. And you know what? It it, it hurts. Sometimes we're being stretched to the very brink. Uh, You know, we think, man, I can't even hold all this together. I'm being stretched so far. But folks, God is deepening our faith. God is at work whether we realize it or not. He's fashioning us. He's molding us, he's, he's making us, he's, he's deepening us, he's still loving us, and he's still leading us. Paul drives home this point with another list. And he declares that nothing will separate us from God's love. Death, with all of its terrors and uncertainties, will not separate us from God's love. Life with all of its allurements and attractions and all the shiny things will not separate us from God's love. Angels nor principalities, that supernatural power and knowledge, they will not separate us. Powers, whether human tyrants or angelic adversaries, they will not separate us. Things present, those things that are crashing in on us, things to come, (laughs) You know, things to come stirry up a whole bunch of worry for us because we don't know what the future holds. And so we start thinking and conjuring up and it stirs up worry in our life. So for good measure, Paul adds this, nor any other created thing. Nothing that you can see can separate us from the love of God. I love this. I mean, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? The answer is nothing. Nothing can separate us. Nothing can pry his love from us. Nothing, nothing, nothing. Folks, that gives me hope. That gives me tremendous hope. I mean... Would you allow me to add a few more to the list? What shall separate us from the love of Christ? My foolish mistakes. When I mess up, will that separate us from the love of Christ? What about my sinful thoughts? What about my inconsistent behavior? What about my stupid words? When I say things that I don't mean, what about my slow discipleship? Because I'm not embracing that, because I'm not working with him in that, because I'm dragging my heels, dragging my feet, saying, I don't want this, Lord. I don't want to be changed. You know what? My slow discipleship does not change his love for me. What about our self-absorbed approach to life? No, nothing. Nothing 
can separate us from his love. Our failures, our failures and our sin may indeed rob us of our joy. My rebellion may make me miserable because I know that I'm running from the Almighty. But please understand, these sins and failures will never deter his love for us or derail his commitment to bringing us to eternal life. We are saved for all eternity and the Holy Spirit has been given to us as a guarantee that on that day, we belong to him. I mean, what a, what a wonderful, wonderful affirmation, assurance of our faith. There is nothing that you can do as a child of God to make, you lo- to make God love you more than he already does. But the, the, the reverse of that is also true, the opposite of that. There is nothing that you can do to make, uh, uh, you know, to make God love you less either. I think that's important because God's love for his children is constant, it's consistent, and it's enduring. See, when we are his child, we are as secure in that love as we could ever be. I must again add that Paul is not talking about people in general. He's talking about those who belong to the Lord. He's talking to those, about those who have professed their faith and put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. See, this is a promise for the, for the believer. And this assurance and blessing is for those who have placed their trust and confidence in his son Jesus and have received his spirit as a deposit of that future inheritance. You know, as I close, I just want to say a couple of things here. In his book, Knowing God, J.I. Packer, he applies his chapter, The Love of God, by asking some convicting questions. And I just want to let this, uh, put this out there and let it just sit for a moment. Why do I ever grumble and show discontent and resentment at the circumstances in which God has placed me? Why am I ever distrustful, fearful, or depressed? Why do I ever allow myself to grow cold or formal and half-hearted in my service to God who loves me so much? Why do I ever allow my loyalties to be divided so that God does not have all of my heart? He goes on and he says, could someone watching learn from the quality and degree of love that I show to others, to my wife or husband, to my family, to my neighbors, to people at church, to people at work, If they are watching that, could they observe anything at all about the greatness of God's love for me? See, I would submit to you this morning that our chief defect as Christians 
is that we fail to realize Christ's love to us. Just how much he loves us. I mean, we should meditate and focus on his love. And when we fail to do that, we tend to think at times that maybe he's forgotten about us or maybe that he's left us. We act like, well, what have you done for me lately? Rather than knowing that he is for us and loves us so very, very much. So to grow in God's love, I I would encourage you to do three things. The first one is to meditate on the cross. Think about what Jesus went through on the cross for each one of us. Where God demonstrated his own love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Even in my sin, he loved me that he died for me. I mean, how? That's just a a kind of love that, that we cannot even comprehend. Second, I would say read God's word, read the Bible. You know, especially the Psalms. To see how God's saints process their trials through the grid of God's love. I mean, he's, he's there loving them and they're, they're processing it and they're crying out and they're saying, God, when are you going to show uh, your, your, your mightiness? When are you going to do this? Folks, you're not the first person going through things. We have a record of it. And, I, you know, and I encourage you. See the cross, focus on that, read God's word, you know, develop a, a, a desire, a hunger for his word. And third, I would say this, read Christian biographies, especially missionary biographies to see how God's people have been, have more than conquered, have been overwhelmingly conquering through Christ's love as they suffered for the gospel. I believe that when we suffer for the gospel, the, the trials, the tribulations, the things that we go through here seem very pale in comparison. That really cements our commitment, knowing that we love him so much that we're willing to suffer and even die so that Christ could be magnified, so that his kingdom can grow. But folks, understand, God tells us this so that we can overwhelmingly conquer in our lives, no matter what we're going through, no matter how much we fail, he still loves us and he's still for us. Would you pray with me? Loving Father, I thank you Father, I thank you for the things that we go through. Father, that that test our mettle, that help us to see where we're at. Father, to, to form and to fashion us after your son. Father, I thank you for those trials. I thank you for those tribulations. I thank you, Father, when we go through hard times,
Because, Father, they show us what's truly important. When all of the the fluff is gone, when all of the, the, the superficial stuff, the surface things are gone and taken away, then, God, we, we begin to recognize what really matters. So, Father, I pray that you would bring an awareness to each of our hearts of the things that truly matter in this life. Father, I'm thankful that nothing can separate us from your love that is found in Christ Jesus. Father, I pray that that awareness of that would just guide us each and every day as we face what seems to be overwhelming odds. But Father, your word says that we are overwhelmingly conquering each of those circumstances, each of those things. Father, I know that to be true in my own life. You haven't brought me this far just to let me go and to forget about me. But God, I know that's true for each one of your children. So I pray that today, Father, that they would know just exactly how much they are loved by you. Father, that you would show yourself mighty in each one of our cases. Father, that that we would recognize your hand at work in the good times, in the bad, drawing us to you. Father, may we be the people that are called according to your purpose. Father, I pray for hearts of fire. I pray, Father, that nothing would stand between us and your son, Jesus. And God, that those things that do stand between us Father, that we would get rid of, that we would uh, put to death, that we would uh, take charge. And Father, that we would conquer all things by the name of Jesus Christ. Father, we love you. We praise you. Guide us as we continue to worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.